House Flipping HQ Podcast, Episode 11. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Good morning, House Flipping Nation, or afternoon or evening, or whatever time of the day it is, in whatever part of the world you are. I hope you're all having a great day. So it's been just over one month since we launched the House Whipping HQ podcast. I continue to be amazed at all the love and support you've all shown. In such a short period of time, we've had thousands of listeners in over 61 countries, 49 states. Not sure what is up with Vermont. <laughs> Are there any house flippers out there in Vermont? Please listen to the show so I can say where you have listeners in all 50 states. If you know anyone in Vermont, <laughs> Please contact them and tell them, listen to the show. I'll send you like a $50 gift card somewhere. So anyway, things are going great. I really appreciate all the support. Keep the ratings and reviews on iTunes coming. They really make a huge difference. Thank you so much for everything you guys have done. Could not be doing this without you. So on to our guest for today. Once again, I'm just super, super excited. Taking it to a whole new level today. The guy we're going to be interviewing today has over 20 years experience in the house flipping market. We were just going over some numbers. I can't even keep track of how many houses he's flipped or been in charge of flipping. I think he said, you know, this year they took it down a notch because he's also a hard money lender. So he's also, they're lending tons of properties. But personally, his company's flipped over 100 houses this year. I think it, let's see, we got 200 in 2012, 500 in 2011, a couple hundred in 2010. They've lent money for house flippers, which is what, you know, what we are on over $1.6 billion. That's crazy. <laughs> they're currently analyzing and they're, they're currently funding over 1500 houses a year for investors and analyze over, over 5,000 deals a year. So for any of you out there who are trying to tell me you can't find a deal or oh, analyzing a few deals is hard. Look, I don't want to hear it anymore, okay? I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so, all right, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let him get a little more into uh, what he has going on. But without any further ado, I give you Robert Fragoso with Anchor Loans. How's it going, Robert? It's going great. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I've, I've heard you uh, start the blog and I've been following it along and the webcast and, and it's just, uh, you do a great job with it. And I think that's one of the reasons you've got so many people from all over the world listening is that, you know, you really take the time to get the information out there. And I, I think that's really key. Well, Robert, I, uh, thank you for that. I'll pay you later. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Um, you know, Robert, I forgot to mention, Robert is one of our main lenders as well. And, you know, they're a great company to work with. A lot of people ask me, who do you use for hard money? They are one of our main sources. Actually, a couple weeks ago, you know, Robert, you know, he shot me an email. He's like, hey, give me a call. I want to talk about how we can, uh, you know, take things to the next level. So I called him and we're, we've been working on that. And he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? You know, I've got some tickets here to a Clippers game and I thought, okay, that sounds fun. I like the Clippers. I like basketball, you know, 
And, uh, you know, I went to this game and, you know, they had, what was the name of the place, Robert, that they had these box? Yeah, we rented out the uh, Hyde Lounge for the mixer that we wanted to have at, at the Clipper game. Dude, this was so awesome. I mean, they're... They, they could just Google like Hyde Lounge Staples Center and they'll see the pictures of the inside of it. It was incredible. I mean, basketball game. You know, I don't drink, but apparently the drinks were pretty good. It seemed like <laughs> <laughs> the, drink, the drinks were really good <laughs> and food off the charts. But what was so incredible is I'm in there in this room and I've been into a lot of real estate investment clubs, which are great. But I don't think I've ever been in a room with I think there were over 20 incredibly successful house flippers who had built these huge businesses and were either all making, you know, high six figures or seven figures. And it was just a really cool experience to be there and network with all those people. And it's just something I'll always remember. So thank you for that, Robert. You're welcome. You know, that the purpose of those events um, is really to get to know some of the people that we're both already doing business with. And then the, the, also the other people that we could potentially do more business with and get them all in one place where you you know kind of get to know each other a little bit on a social level and here's one thing i found is that the people that you do a lot of business with you also have to get along with and (laughs) you know so you have to be socially adaptable with each other otherwise it just doesn't work and in you know you can do a small level of business but if you just kind of really at the core don't agree with the person or you just don't get along or you have some core personality differences you're never going to be able to successfully do a lot of business together and that's i think part of the reason that we do that you know, I love how you said, you know, not only is it to bring on new business to, but to get to know and further develop relationships with the people you're working with. What's funny about this podcast is, you know, I figured it would help me get to know new people and bring a new business. But I think even more so, the business which the people I'm currently working has improved. I mean, I just got a text yesterday from one of my wholesalers who heard, you know, the show that I did. And he's like, hey, you know, I, I want to be your new number one wholesaler. <laughs> What can we do? Let's meet and figure out how we can really take things to the next business, to the next level, excuse me. And, you know, one thing like that, you know, if this guy, if we can figure out a way that he can bring me, you know, five more deals per month, I mean, that's huge. So just keep thinking about stuff like that. Now, Robert is a master networker. We'll get into that a little later. You know, I don't, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I've never seen as good a networker as Robert. So we'll talk about that as well. So, before, you know, we're getting excited, getting ahead of ourselves. Robert, give us a little bit of your background so we can know a little more about you, where you come from, and uh, then we can dive into all these systems and the, these big business that you've done. Sure. Um, you know, I got started actually or exposed to the real estate business when I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. And just, you know, back then, I don't know if whoever's been around that long, um, there used to have all these infomercials that were out there and you had the, like the Dave Del Dottos and the Tom Boo or <laughs> Woo or whatever that his name was. And, and uh, you, know, you watch these infomercials late night. And I've always been a guy who just stays up late night. Yeah. And, you know, there's the guys with the yachts and the Ferraris. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> buy, buy, my, buy houses with no money down. I'm thinking, well, I mean, hell, I've got no money. I can do that, <laughs> right? <You know? laughs> and so, um, you know, I never bought a system. I just, I, I would always watch them. I just found it, it like being entertaining. Yeah. And I'm sitting in a mall one day and a good friend of mine and I are just, we're people watching. And we're sitting there, I think it was a Burger King. We sit there and, you know, you can watch all the people walk by. And this guy next to me, he's got his briefcases open. He's got paperwork everywhere. And one of the flyers I noticed, it said, buy money or buy houses, no money down. And I asked the guy, I said, so what do you do? And he says, well, you know, I teach at the time. He was teaching retirees how to invest their retirement income to maximize that 
cash flow off versus having it in a bank and or a 401k somewhere and earning, you know, whatever the interest rate was at the time. And um, the I said, I said, oh, well, you know, I'm interested in learning that. He said, oh, here, hand me a flyer. He says, you know, come on down. It's on Saturday. We have a seminar. It's, it was like $3,000 to go. Wow. And I didn't, you know, I'm 17 years old. I'd looked at the guy. I said, listen, <laughs> first of all, if I had 3,000 bucks, I wouldn't give it to you. <laughs> and then second of all, I said, if you teach me how to do it, I'll do it for free. So first month out, I found it. And he ended up letting me come. I set up chairs. I helped him lay out all the stuff. And he gave me all the stuff and just taught me how to do the, the business a little bit. Went into like the RTC buying from, you know, back then when the um, SNLs had crashed got into syndicating apartment buildings. And then after all that had kind of dried up, we had our core group of investors said, you know, we've made money with you. We like you. You're honest. You're trustworthy. Um, what's next? And I said, well, you know, we've been really giving all these properties to other investors. We could just start lending them money. Nice. And they said, okay, great. And so that kind of started here. I met my current partners um, because they had more money than deals and I had more deals than money. Nice. And so it was a good match. And, you know, 15 years later, we've got a pretty large company. Now, Robert, I think I mentioned this to you at the game, but you know, when I started six and a half years ago, you were the hard money lender that actually we used for our proof of funds. <laughs> so, and I heard your name, Robert Fergoso, and that was the only out of everybody I now know in Southern California, you were the only one that I had even heard of back then. I mean, I didn't even hear of Bruce Norris till later on. So that's that's pretty funny that we're now doing this interview. So, <laughs> um, okay, very cool. So let's talk about these guys are. Uh, dying to uh, learn more about how they can improve their house flipping business. Um, let's talk about, you know, the systems you guys have used, the systems that they can use. Let's just... Well, so, you know, we built a proprietary software system for ourselves. And well, that does nobody any good except for us, right? <laughs> I will tell you that your systems that you do when you're not buying one house a year versus a hundred houses a year is completely different. You have to continue to refine it. And we find ourselves continuing to refine it as you grow. You know, a lot of people who just want to um, just get started and say, oh, I'm going to buy 20 houses a month because I've got money. Those systems are going to be completely different than someone who's now doing 40 or 50. And it's only because, you know, you can't do everything yourself. I mean, you have assistance. Yep. And the reality is that as you grow, those assistants can't handle everything they're handling. And you have to incorporate new people and change that system or bifurcate that responsibility a little bit to be able to, to handle the business and the growth of the business. Um, I'll tell you some basic kind of systems that you really need to have. And, you know, initially it's okay if you're the guy that's running around and doing everything. But the reality is that the point where you're getting too busy, it's too late. You've already lost efficiency. Love it. So you have to do what we call, you know, um, investing in your labor, you know, and you have to invest and train really well. And that's actually one of our weaknesses is the training part. You know, I wish we could train you know, um, and be much better at training. But a lot of times, you know, we, we, we do get to that point where we're busy. We then hire someone and it's like, okay, go. Yep, <laughs> and yep. They're like, what do you do again? For sure. <laughs> you know, um, but you know, I think here's the key when you're hiring people, you want to hire sharp. You want to get the sharpest person you can get. If it costs you a little bit more money, it's okay. Here's why you can train everything else. You can't train smart. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to train a sharp person who gets it. And if you, and so, you know, as part of your systems is really, Having that as a core, you know, you'll do much, much better than trying to find a labor. It's like, well, I got somebody who worked for nine bucks an hour instead of this person wants $15 an hour. You know, I, most of the time that 15 or $20 an hour person is going to make you more money and your life much easier than that other person who's just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. How would someone go about finding someone like that? 
Well, you know, I'll tell you. So we used to run a lot of ads. And what we found is that we end up paying extra to work with a temp agency initially. Uh-huh. And the quality of the people that we get through the temp agencies are much better than the quality of people that we just go and work through on our own. Huh, interesting. So it costs you a lot more money up front because you're paying the profit for the temp agency. Um, but I can just tell you, you know, for the quality of people, it, it's been really fantastic. I mean, it's, it's significantly different than, you know, the interview. Because keep in mind, you're, you're starting a relationship with someone over a half hour or hour interview. You know, it's not even a first date. It's like, you know, yeah, seriously. So and here yeah. you're starting this relationship with someone that you just don't know based on what they decided to put on a piece of paper that most of which is embellished yep. to some <laughs> or another. Right? And so, you know, they've trained them. They've done this. There, there are other things that you can do when you're training, you know, people. There's um, personality tests and all these things, you know, some of which you can do online. Um, some of which you can do, some of which you're not supposed to do, you know, that a lot of people do anyhow, um, you know, but it's, uh, there's ways to kind of try to identify that person. We have found that the temp agency for us happens to be the most efficient way to do it. We're less concerned about the extra cost that we are about the quality of person that we get. Okay. Now that's one portion of it, right? That's just a small portion of it. Really. You've got to have your system construction. If you're just getting started or if you're expanding, you're going to need more contractors or more crews and so forth to work with. You know, we qualify our contractors much like we qualify our borrowers, which is we want to see some bank statements. Nice. And most contractors are they're kind of taking a little bit aback at that initially because they, they think about it and they're like, well, I'm not going to show you my bank statement. <laughs> and our response is, listen, you know, I don't know if you're robbing from one job to pay for the next job. If you are, I don't want to work with you. Yeah. If you're not, show me you're not. Wow, it's interesting. Yeah. And so the guys that have money aren't the guys like typically what happens is that they run their business efficiently. And that's really the contractors you want to work with. And again, it goes back to like, we're not trying to grind the contractors. You have to realize that in this business, you're either a deal guy or a business guy. If you're a business person, you're trying to set up a business and establish that to go forward and grow versus a deal guy who's just doing a deal, who's going to work the contractor down, doesn't care if they're going to make money or not, you know, is going to work everything down to the just nubbin to be able to make as much money as they can. That's great on a deal per deal basis. It doesn't work when you want to actually build a business. Absolutely. You know, and I've never heard of the bank statements, but I couldn't agree more. I mean, we don't work with them now, but we've had contractors that I mean, the last thing you want is someone who's asking for, you know, an extra couple grand because they can't buy the materials they need. It's just such a pain and a waste of time. And uh, I just think those are some really good points. And then also the fact that they're a businessman. And I've had, you know, people tell me, you know, because I try to have, you know, my costs as low as I can, of course. But there have been times when a contractor has bid a job that I didn't know. I'm like, these are too low. <laughs> right. And I will either tell the realize they're not a good contractor because they're charging me too less or say, hey, you need to get paid a little more or you're not going to be able to run your business. You're going to run out of money. You're not going to make money on this job, which means you're not going to help me. So those are really good points. So, you know, from a contractor standpoint, you have to realize that if they get you to go with the low bid, right, and it's so attractive that you go with them, you're now a captive audience for all these change orders. So yeah. they know that they can bump it up anyhow. You're yeah. not going to end up at that low number. It's never going to ha- work out that way. But now they're on the job. They've opened up the wall. They're like, hey, you know, Justin, you know, we're going to have to replace these studs here. You know, that's going to be another 1500 bucks. It's like, and so I usually, my response would be, it's like, well, that's four studs. That's, you know, $2 and 88 cents exactly. a stud. Yep. How line, does that equal? Line item how does that equal a thousand bucks? Just yeah. explain to me, right? And but the problem is that when you're a cat, when you've got a captive guy there, most people don't realize like what the actual costs are. Yeah. And I think that that's what they bank on is that well, we'll just get in there and we'll bump them up. 
Yep. You know, yeah, we- similar to like what investors do when they tie up a house that they think, well, maybe it'll work, maybe it doesn't work, and we're going to go down and try to go for a price reduction. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's keep going. I want to, this is good stuff. What else do you got? All right. So, so let's say, so you got uh, the contractors, you've got to work with a good team. Um, really, I would say so far as systems is you have to have a qualified system for finding the deals, which is, uh, you know, you have, you're not in the business unless you can get deals, right? And that's exactly. Listen, that's a challenge. That's yep. a challenge for everyone, right? Yep. yep. I know you network with a lot of wholesalers. I know that you, you're out there actively on the MLS that you guys you know, are actively looking at properties. Yep. Um, I will say that there's a couple of different techniques that you can do. And for the sake of this is we're going to focus on, let's say, two of them. If one is networking, okay. two is the MLS. Okay. Um, the MLS is just a, well, and we'll say three, and then your direct marketing campaigns. Awesome. So first, let's just work on the MLS. If you're going to be searching off of the MLS, you have to do it in a very, very systematic way. Otherwise, the flow of information is too great for you to be able to just manage, and it's very difficult for you to see. Well, we have this software system that we've now spent millions of dollars on. Um, it's Well, we've been working on it for well, maybe not millions. Maybe we spend a million on it. All right. I need to uh, take you out this time, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we've developed it to do all the things that we want it to do, and it continues to get more and more efficient. And to give you an idea is that we can evaluate a property now under six minutes where before it used to take me 15 to 20 minutes. Wow. And so that's one of the reasons we're able to like grow. The other thing that it did is a lot of the expertise and the reason you can spot a deal is because you're an expert in the business. So when you're first just getting started, you're not going to spot deals that you will later on because Mm -hmm. you've now had experience and you've seen more things happen. Yeah. Our problem in Anchor Loans is that we had to train the people that we just came on. You can't train that experience. Yeah, so we had to develop a system where anyone can sit there and value properties, which was wow. not what we've done. So we've made it so that a very, very simple way to train people to be able to value properties accurately. So if I ever think you're off on one of the values of the properties we give you, it's because you're your system, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, listen, here, like Vanessa, me. it's their system. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah, but, so pay attention. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, here's the thing. So it, it's not to say, so we, Keep in mind, from a lending perspective, might be different than from an acquisitions perspective. Okay. So from a lending perspective, we have to justify the comps that we have to use. Yeah. And from a hard money side, um, it's actually changing because before we didn't really order appraisals before we funded. We funded everything with our own cash. And once it funded, we'd have the third party you know, appraisal that would come in and trickle in. We weren't lending on that value. We're lending on the value that we want. The law is changing now yeah, okay. where you're going to have to have come January the appraisal prior to funding. Wow, interesting. So we're now adjusting those ways. Otherwise, yeah. it's a non-sellable loan. So okay. it's so anyhow. So what happens is that um, you know, we're having to make our adjustments, but we still don't necessarily have to lend on that value. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah. So um uh, I lost my train of thought here. Okay, so back to the MLS. If you got your systems. Yeah. So what do the rest of us, you know, minions or peons do who don't have this incredible software? <laughs> well, so there's a few things that when you're valuing property that you don't want to do. You don't want to have, um, you don't want to value properties based on like a radius search or on, you know, just kind of running comps from a title company. That's okay. yep. the most inefficient way to do it. And there's one of the things that you have to think about as a real estate investor is if this is your business, just like any other business, you have to invest in the tools of that business. You wouldn't open a restaurant without a stove. You wouldn't be a contractor without a hammer. You can't be a real estate agent with, or a real estate investor without access to the MLS yep. and the right valuation tools. If you're relying on your agent to give you that, it's just a recipe for failure because you're relying on someone who's biased to make a commission to give you the accurate, unbiased information. And yeah. it's human nature 
they're going to fudge the numbers a little bit to make it more attractive for you. Yeah. And so I think that getting that radius tight, like today's market, we don't go back to six month old comps. No. You know, we stay within the three, four months range. And the reason is that May 25th, you had a bump in interest rate of 2013. Okay. Interest shot up about a point. That really calmed the market. We, if you remember back then, it was really frenzied. Oh, yeah. It's crazy, right? Crazy. Not, not as much the case today. And that really stopped when the interest rates rose. The market took a step back and said, hey, let's see what's going to happen here. This is a bad sign. And it was really an overreaction. Mm -hmm. And so, but what happened there is this, is that if you look at just, let's say, I'm just going to pick on LA County for a second. If you look at the median price point from a month to month, let's say October to November, it dropped uh, 1.8%. And that was the median asking price. Hmm. Listings, the inventory dropped, you know, 0.4%, almost half a percent. And, but it, the inventory had already dropped um, about 16% from the year to date, from you know, let's say January 1st to November 10th when I ran this stat. One of the reasons that's important is this, is that as a real estate investor, you have to be cognizant of what's going on in the marketplace like you are, right? Yep. You're always looking yep. at the different changes. Your valuation model has to really take this into account. And it's not so much that you're going to change your value. You're going to value it for what it is today, but you might adjust your profit margin. So going back to the valuations and you're searching the MLS, yeah. you're searching, so far as a system, if you're searching the MLS, pick Rather than just pick, okay, LA, I'm looking for houses, and you've got all this data that you don't know what to do with, um, break down that data into different zones, the zones, whatever zones you're looking to focus on. And you're going to see homes that are essentially that bottom level pricing. Those are the homes you want to concentrate on. You also want to make offers on all of those homes. It's just a numbers game, really, at that point. That's what you're playing, playing with. So for the sake of the MLS, it's more of a numbers game and getting the offers out. The other thing that's very, very important when you're working off the MLS, you got to understand that these agents on these low side properties, they get a ton of offers. You know, the bottom of the barrel always gets a lot of offers. So you have to maintain and have a way to expose them to what your credibility is. And, you know, that can be in the form of a letter. It can be in the form of a phone call. But the follow-up and the follow-through is almost more important than just writing the offer. Agents get offers every day. Yep. They're looking for the agent for the offer that's going to close because they don't get paid if it doesn't close. You can have the highest offer. And if your offer has all these contingencies and all these other things that they know it's not going to close. They're not going to push your offer to their seller. For sure, yeah. So one of the reasons that we do that, and this leads into the next topic, is the uh, networking. Yep. You know, one of the reasons that we host all these networking events is not just, you know, for us, it's twofold. We don't mind our clients talking to our other clients, hence the event you went to. Yeah, so yeah and that was... Not an issue for us. We don't sit there and try to charge you more than someone else. It's all risk reward for us. So you want a better rate? Just lower our risk. It's no problem. Yeah, And that's kind of the core of our business is that we try to even the, the, that uh, field for everyone, for the first time, you know, guy versus the guy who's doing a hundred flips a year. He looked like you were going to say something. No, no, it's just, uh, I didn't know if I should tell you this or not, but I mean, you know, I'm mean, at the event is pretty funny. You know, Christy was like, Hey, I'm going to go talk to Robert and see how low I can get him on rates. And then she'd come back and report to us. And then unfortunately she was half drunk. So she didn't remember, you know, what you told her. I don't think, sorry, Christy, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you weren't <laughs> half drunk. You just. She's no longer invited. <laughs> you weren't half drunk. You just didn't remember some stuff. <laughs> she comes back. I'm like, so we're like, so what do you say? She's like, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, but no, yeah. you, you're right. I mean, abundance. And that's our whole mentality here. And, you know, it's just part of the reason I wanted you on is, you know what, at the end of the day, sure, maybe at times we're creating a little competition in some ways, but what you get back is always so much more is what I've found at least. Right. So the networking thing is important. And I'll tell you, if you're going to network, and this is what I really like, 
I love networking as a, as a part of the system to buy more deals. You know, the networking you've got, it, it's a lot of people go to the, like the real estate clubs. And if you don't go to the real estate clubs in your area, you absolutely should because the techniques and the changes in the marketplace, you know, that you pick up are invaluable to your business. The other thing, though, is that you also meet a lot of wholesalers. You know, I don't know if that's where you met a lot of your wholesalers. Yeah. You know, but, you know, at, at the different real estate clubs, you can meet a lot of the wholesalers and that'll give you some access to deals. And it might take a little bit of time. I mean, these are guys I've known for a while. And over time, you develop those relationships. You start to do mastermind meetings if you want and you just kind of keep getting to know them and you build that trust. So, yep. Um, the trade organizations like the NAREP and the NAREPs and the ARIAs of the world, if you don't know what that is, it's the um, National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, the Asian Real Estate Association, the um, National Association of Real Estate Brokers, the um, Young Professionals Networking Groups that are put on by most of these real estate boards. Um, the real estate boards themselves have hold education events for most of their agents on a at least monthly basis. In LA here, I think there's 26 boards in LA. So that creates 26 different points to be able to network. Wow. They all have networking before the education starts. And, you know, if you think about it, if you're a real estate professional, you're a house flipper and you're looking to go out and find properties, you know, these agents spend their money to market for their, their listing. That's part of their business that you seamlessly can fit into because like here in LA, you know, it's 38% of all sales are all cash sales nationwide. It's 58%. Wow. So, you know, housing investors of some sort, not necessarily flippers account for a larger portion nationally than do the home owner. You know, that's a big number. That's huge. It's huge. And so if you think about that and let that resonate for a little bit, when you attend these real estate networking places or events or educational events, you pick up more and more agents and you grow your network. And that's, you know, you should maintain a database, right? You have to reach out to these people on a regular basis to keep in front of them. And then there's the third one that we were talking about, which is the network, the, uh, the direct marketing. From a direct marketing standpoint, you know, we do no direct marketing. Okay. I know a lot of clients do direct marketing and, and they pick up business that way. Uh, they pick up a lot of deals. It is a very, very good way, but you have to be very selective because it is also one of the most expensive ways to get a lead. Mm-hmm. You know, you like networking because you get a high volume of leads from a bunch of different agents, you know, from off market deals that they've either someone in their office, hey, they're about to list this property. Would you like to make an offer on it? And sometimes it's just a matter of being the first offer in. Yep. And whereas, you know, when you're doing the direct marketing, if you send out, if you're, if you're working off of a, you know, let's say 1% success rate, that leads very, you have, first of all, you have to always be willing to answer the phone because if you miss that call, that call may have cost you a hundred bucks and a percentage of those are going to convert to a deal that you do. Uh It certainly works. I mean, I guess the key to success is it all works a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And you have to really work all of the angles a little bit or work some that are working more for you, more efficiently. And I think that's what we do. So I think those are the three that-, that okay. uh, Yeah, and no, I totally agree. Okay, so you guys aren't doing any direct marketing. And part of that might be, and this is kind of where I'm getting a little bit, <laughs> it's like the more people you get to know, the, like you have somewhat of a platform, you're out there networking, you're doing that a ton, you're great at it. And so you're having a lot of these deals kind of come to you. So, right. and, and that's kind of what's happened to us recently. You know, we still do some direct mail and you know, my goal is to, you know, I, I meet with different wholesalers and say, Hey, how can we take this to another level? You know, it's, it's hard for me right now to, I'm not, I can't take these calls. You know, I can't do all this stuff. I guess I could, I just choose not to, <laughs> but <laughs> we all choose what to do. Right? right. But, but it's efficiency, right? I mean, you've got, exactly. you got, here's the thing is, is I would rather le- leverage other people's work product than go out and have to market myself to go out. The other thing that I don't like about marketing myself is that, you know, um, 
when there's a person in between us, they're counseling them. Like most of these agents, they've got a fiduciary to that seller. Yeah. I have to be the best offer. I'm okay with trying to be the best offer. And from a growth perspective, you know, you really have to hone your business just like, you know, you hone the financing side. You figure out what works. You've got your private investors. You've got your own cash. You've got, you know, us on the front side and you can get us to, you know, charge you a lot less by, you know, having your investors come in with more money. And there's a sweet spot for every single transaction. And, you know, that's an efficiency that you have that other people don't have, which is one of the reasons you can do the volume that you do. Yeah. You know, um, you're accurate, you know, or you feel you're accurate on what you're going to be able to resell the properties for. And, you know, and having, and you, you don't sit there and look at like, well, I'm going to be a little bit more conservative because the difference between a deal and not a deal is might only be 5%. Yeah. Yep. So if you're, I'm going to be a couple percent safer on the value here. I'm going to overestimate the repairs a little bit more. There it goes. It's no longer a deal. For sure. No, for sure. And yeah. and I think that's pretty interesting. A lot of times people will tell me, hey, I'm doing everything. I made a ton of offers. And then I'll find out like they think they're doing a good job by being really conservative on their after repair value. And I'm like, that's great. You're being conservative. But guess what? There's 10 other guys that know what it's going to sell for. And they're beating you by five grand because you're being five grand conservative. So Right, right. Yeah. And that's it. It's a flow of business. I mean, again, it looks, you know, I mean, gone are the days where you're like, hey, I want to make 18% on this deal yeah, because it just doesn't happen anymore. It's not, you know, you have to realize where the market is and really adapt to it. Otherwise it's just, you know, you're going to become extinct. Yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> so, so, okay. How do you analyze your deal? Like what, where are you guys, where do you try to be at? What's your sweet spot right now? Um, you know, right now I think we're looking for about a eight, nine or 10% net to sales profit or more. Okay. And what that means, I'll explain that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, our cost of carry, which is whatever fund, you know, whatever percentage we want to allocate towards our funds that are in the deal. In our case, we use, a, I think, an 8% number or seven. I think we're using about an 8% cost of carry now because otherwise we could just lend that money out. So there's a cost of that capital, even though you're paying cash, right? Yes, I agree. I did right. the same thing with my own capital. So if you've got, um, we, we calculated 8% cash carry for the cash that we've got into the deal. Um, we look at an average of somewhere between 120 day and 150 day hold for the straight fixers, assuming the property is vacant. Yep. We then, you know, utilize the, whatever the normal ca- you know, closing cost would be on the buy, you know, escrow title. Um, and again, on the resale prorated property taxes is one that I think everybody forgot. Um, yeah. Mine, you're going to get a supplemental tax bill at some point, right? So account for that. Yep. Termites, uh, home warranty, those type of issues. So we, we basically, what we do is we set up a like HUD one, for the purchase and then have it tie into a HUD one for the resale. It's kind of the way we look at it. And so we have this set up okay. in our system and, and in ours, it's built into the system. You know, you can do the same yeah. thing on a, on a spreadsheet and rather okay. than have a formula where it's okay, this is going to be a 1% on average is the closing cost. Okay. Well, yeah. why not have an accurate number? Because we're talking about accuracy, right? <laughs> and be able to adjust what the escrow cost is going to be, be able to adjust what this cost is going to be because that 1% works at, one price point, it doesn't work at the other price point. And, yeah. and so, um, so anyhow, so when you want to look at it, just have that set up and you can easily adjust the numbers. So you know exactly before you close on that deal, this is my expectation on profit. And so that profit Perfect. number versus the resale price of what our expected resale price, we're looking for that to be a percentage somewhere between eight and 10% or better of that resale price. So that's what we're looking for as a buyer. Now, I, Perfect. So- I will say- Okay. I just want to go, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to clarify for everyone. So basically his ARV, his re- estimated resale price, he's trying to make, you know, 
you said eight to 10% right. of that? Eight to 10% of that. So as to where I go off of the total amount that I have invested. So uh, yours would probably equal, probably about the same oh. actually. So probably as to where I'm looking to make 13, 14% on the total capital invested, uh, it's just a little yeah. different. So, so, so I'll tell you the reason we do it this way. And it just came from having been in the market when it's downtrending. We always wanted to know what percentage we had built in the profit so that if the market, like as you see, like we mentioned that the market had adjusted 1.8% month over, right? Uh-huh. I'm buying at 8%. Oh, yeah, I know that I've got, those numbers are public. Everybody puts out those numbers, how it's adjusted. I know I still have 6% yeah. left in the deals that I bought in October, uh-huh. but I don't have to dump them yet. You know, we've still got a profitable thing. If it continues, then you start to adjust versus it's more difficult to tell on your 14 or 15%. So just uh, from an analytical standpoint is the way. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it for sure. And then I liked what we talked about and what you said, and we do the same thing in our business is, you know, like about two and a half years ago when I started buying pretty high volume, yeah, I was looking to make 15 to 18% on the total capital invested on each property. And, you know, during the market's change, the inventory got tighter, we had to adjust, things were going up. So we were willing to, you know, do some that were closer to 11, 12%. And now we're at 13, 14, I think we're going to be pushing it to Around 15 will be our goal, you know? So just as the market adjusts, adjusts right. you know, you want, you want to adjust. That's right. that, you know, now so. the interesting thing I think here that should take note for most of your listeners is this. Neither one of us are talking about LTV to purchase price, right? We're looking at profit no. at the end of the day. Yes. I, I can't tell you how many times people come up to us and it's like, well, I'm looking to buy things at 70 cents on the dollar. Yeah. I could tell you we pay 100% of what the property is worth when we buy it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. The mentality is different because we, both you and I look at this business, we add value by what we do to the properties. Yes. And while maybe you get, you know, a slight discount, you know, you know yeah. here and there because you get lucky or what have you. The reality is that yes. we're adding the value by the work product that we do. I love that you bring that up because I can't tell you how many times I've heard gurus or whoever or people that don't know what they're doing. When someone says, I know they don't know what they're doing or they say pennies on the dollar on a house for pennies on the dollar. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, and then you have these people out there that think we're like robbing people of their house. So we're getting these amazing stills. It's like, no, like you said, it's pretty much what the house is worth because like you're adding value and sure, maybe you get a slight discount because maybe if you are buying directly from the seller, there's no agents involved, they're able to do it quickly. But at the end of the day, the houses that we're buying, it's a win-win for everybody. It's not like you magically buy thousands of houses and you just like magically right. like got this amazing bill. Let, let, let me you know? give you just a rough stat here on you know, how just investors, I'm just going to pick 15 investors that did like 15 deals a year. Awesome. If you think about this, you know, for if you're wholesaling or if you're a real estate agent or a loan rep or an escrow company or whatever you are, you know, for years, real estate investors were like the underbelly of the business. And now yeah. it's really creating this movement in the entire economy. Because if you look at, just take 15 yeah. investors, you got 15 investors who do 15 transactions a year. That's 225 transactions that come out of those 15 investors, right? Yep. That's 225 listings potentially for an agent, 225 yep. sales of those listings, another 225 yep. resale because they're going to flip it, another 225 repurchases. That's a total of 900 transactions that come out of 15 investors that's, that are just doing, you know, crazy. that means it's that's another, listen, for if you're a real estate agent, that's 900 opportunities to earn commission. If you're an escrow company, that's 450 potential escrows. If you're anchor loans, that's 225 potential loans, right? You know, yeah, and for yeah. conventional lenders, that's 225 conventional lenders. Termite company, that's another 450. Just title escrow. That's off of 15 yeah. investors. Yeah. 
I hope that like just kind of dispels this like, oh, real estate, you guys are trying to steal this. I mean, we're moving the economy right now. I mean, it's big. It's yeah. not a little. I mean, it's big. Total misconceptions. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The news likes to be out there and talk about the vultures and this and that. It's like, hey, if vultures are what cleans up the mess, then sure, <laughs> you know. And if you're a real estate investor who's legitimate and not, you know, working with these, the hoaxers, uh, I almost mentioned a name. It's a good thing I didn't, but, <laughs> you know, then, I mean, you know, it is, it's hard work. You know, it takes a lot of hard work. It's not like, yeah, I saw a post, someone actually shared my uh, information and they're like, if you want to learn how to make money fast, watch Justin. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, like, I'm not, it's not easy, but, but it can be very worthwhile as can any business if you build it the and right way. And it's not fast. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not I mean, fast. there is no fast money here. I mean, you think about it, you buy a house and like four or five <laughs> months later you get paid. So if you only make like 20,000 bucks on that house, I think that equates to slightly less than minimum wage would be my guess, right? <laughs> yes. You know, I think it's just like any business it takes a lot of work to get it going and you need to look at it like that. Once you put the pieces in place, then you have this machine that can, you know, do some pretty amazing things. So yeah, I'll tell you, I think that real estate investors, real estate agents, anybody in really this profession, one of the problems is that there's a lot of people that are deal people and they're just looking to do deals. And you have to look oh, at it like a business. You can't, you have to be able to, yes. here, you have to be willing to set up your business in such a manner that you can take off to Hawaii and not work yep. and it still continues. If, if you yep. leave at any point and it stops, you don't have a business. You're a deal guy. Yes, I totally agree. And that is my whole goal in, in all of this. Cause just like you, it seems like 99% of the investors and even a lot of my colleagues, and I don't mean this to down on anybody, <laughs> but you know, that. They look at it as, a, like you said, a deal by deal. They're so, some of them are super, way smarter than I am. I mean, they're able to look at a deal and think of a hundred ways they can do it. And I think I'm just not that smart is <laughs> why I don't do that. But, you know, I don't, I want something that I can easily hand off to somebody else and say, hey, this is how we do it. And, and like you said, make it a business. And that's our whole goal of this on everything we do. You know, here, here's my goal. Um... <laughs> Let's hear it, man. I tease around, but if you know me, I always tell people my, my goal is to do nothing. <laughs> that's, that's no, me, me too. And I say this, if you listen to my show, every day I wake up, my goal is to do nothing. And I'll tell you what, this podcast and the website has been a lot of work and I still, you know, I consider it privileged to do the interviews and everything, but over time I will do less and less, still create the same great content, but that's always my goal. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because, but you also know that if you're doing nothing, you're also able to move your entire business forward because you're focusing exactly. on that versus, versus exactly. the paperwork anything else right yes and so yes. you know my uh we have a saying here like sometimes our staff will come in and they're like hey you know can you handle this i'm like we're like it's just uh it, it doesn't tend to work this is one thing that we do i think well is that with our employees yeah. we tell them this is your task this is what you got to do just own it yes. own it because exactly. they're going to figure out yes. how to do that much better than what my perception is yep. of how to do it because they're yep. actually doing all those things yes i've got vanessa to the point where anytime she calls me you know, we don't work in the same office, which I like because they can't just come in and talk to me. But anytime she calls me, she apologizes first because she knows that better only call me if it's really important or something you can't handle. And then she has to come with me with a solution, not a question. Every time. Tell me just all she's doing is getting confirmation. It's usually by email as well. But that's how you have to do it. You have to almost be super um, anal about it to where it's almost like a game. Like your goal is to not to let them figure it out. So yeah, love it. I feel like we're just having this conversation between you and I. It's great. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's what it is. I love the Skype thing. Cause I could just see you and you know, it's like we're in the same yeah. room here, which works out great. 
you got the FedEx truck coming up behind you in the window. (laughs) It already pulled in. Well, that's just marketing for FedEx. They, by the way, they should like pay you for this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know. It's like a commercial. I should charge them. (laughs) Yeah, it's my. uh, This is completely off the tension, but talking about. That's fine. (laughs) But it's Uh, people like it. I like the live raw. My wife has. She has a company, and she licenses her company. Like she creates products in the craft industry for a bunch of different things. And she was on her blog, and she gets quite a bit of like in her business in her field. She's pretty well known, and she just mentioned like I was at Starbucks buying this thing. Starbucks approaches her and they're like, Hey, so we realized that you had, you know, like 1500 bucks or 1500 people just hit your site and liked it. And you mentioned Starbucks. We're going to just give you a bunch of like gift certificates to give out. No way. They just, and so Starbucks does a really great job having people out there just searching their name and their different things. That's Oh, I'm going to go do that. What's really quick. What's your wife's blog? Everyone's going to ask me now. A gilded life.com. A gilded life life. Dot com. Dot com. How do you spell that? Um, A-G-I-L-D-E-D-L-I-F-E.com. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Everyone go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a little plug there for you. All right. Back on to house flipping before we lose everybody. So right. <laughs> anything else before we dive into, you know, hard money, anything else about how people can improve their business? Yeah. You know, um, I think being honest, a quick yes or a quick no in any scenario is good. No agent expects you to buy everything. But when you're not going to buy it, or you think there's a potential that you're not going to buy it, get to that answer quicker because you don't want to screw up their transaction or their ability to sell that or their ability. Keep in mind, they have a relationship with a client or an asset manager or a short sale negotiator that they're trying to protect on the other side. If you sit there and jerk them around till the very, very end, and then the deal doesn't go, you know what everyone thinks is that they didn't do their job. They didn't screen you well enough. And you burn that relationship and consequently, you know, they burn a relationship. So just be cognizant that, you know, other people have lives and families and so forth to feed and protect as well. And it's always better to just give a very quick yes or a quick no than it is a prolonged no, especially if it's a no. Yeah. And I could not agree with that more. Uh, I just got an email from an agent who uh, wants to start making offers for us and kind of going along the same lines of what you're talking about. Um, I was going to try to pull it up here so I could read it, but I'm not finding it yet. <laughs> so, but also set the expectation for your agent out. Cause I have so many investors who say, Hey, these agents send me all this junk. I can't find a good agent. And I say, you know, okay. Like you mentioned, you got to look for the right people, no doubt. But I think even more than finding a good agent, you need to know how to set the right expectation. You need to let them know what you're looking for. So I let all of my agents know and all my wholesalers, Hey, don't ever just send me a house on the MLS and say, what do you think? What do you think I should offer? <laughs> that goes back to having that formula that you have. Like we talked about, you have your formula, right? I have my formula. Mm-hmm. You can simply give the agents, here's the spreadsheet, plug it in. If it fits, call me, I'll buy it. If it doesn't, then you just have to verify numbers. Exactly. If it doesn't fit, don't waste my time. Exactly. And I agree completely. And what I, they have to bring to us every time is what the after repaired value is, what the repairs are, and what they think we should offer. And then we can just confirm that. And then we get to the point where they know our numbers. They're practically making the offers for us. I mean, it's just clockwork. And then when they bring us a deal, it's all wrapped in a little bow. And here you go. And we know it's, and we check it, but we know it's a good deal. So um, awesome. Good stuff. I, I will say one thing also, like just for a business standpoint. Is that, you know, I had an agent who said, well, you know, really I'm, uh, or actually an investor, I apologize. Um, I'm looking for properties here. And like this particular person was in Norwalk. I'm like, why just in Norwalk? (laughs) 
<laughs> and your credit. Yeah. You know, you do stuff in Palm Springs, you do stuff in LA, you do stuff in Orange, San Diego. Totally. You know, that's a pretty wide, but you have your systems in place that allows you to do that. And you can't, yeah. I mean, we're not in a world anymore where it's very regional. I mean, there's no reason why you can't do deals everywhere. You're an investor, you're putting up money. If you have a system, yep. that system, it can be replicated any part. You know, I like to do things where I could still drive to them outside of lending. Lending, we yeah. lend all over California. Yeah. But yeah. the um, the deals that we do, we like to be able to drive just uh -huh. for efficiency standards because yeah. we have our own construction company. Yep. And, and I agree completely. And I think that's, once again, the difference between just investing and then as you go to a whole level of business and you have the systems that, that take care of that. People don't understand how I don't look at any or most or any of my houses, really. And it's if you have those systems in place and you have the people you can trust to do that, you don't need to really, in my opinion, but you're going to stop lending to me now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't look at your houses? Uh-oh. Put Justin on the uh, the blackball list. <laughs> so, okay, I want to throw in a quick little uh, thing here. We talked about the agents. I have a, a link that I, a separate link that I put on one of the podcasts I did called housekeepinghq.com slash forms. Anyone who wants to learn more about, I have a whole criteria that we send to our agents that that can help you train your agents. And there's just a bunch of forms on this. isn't for you, Robert. I mean, you can look at it if you want, but. <laughs> um, so I'm just letting anyone know about that housekeepinghq.com slash forms. We have a bunch of forms we use in our business. Just go check it out. It's free. Have at it. So, all right, Robert, let's get into um, hard money. Talk a little, oh, and there's light. <laughs> so on the lending side? Yeah, let's talk about, you know, a lot of people out there want to know how do they get money. Let's talk about how they can get money. So hard money or, or any yeah, other you way. know, I'll tell you today, interestingly enough, you know, a lot of it goes to that, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yep. And, you know, while I'm a fan that I think you should find the deal first. Yep, me too. Versus trying to find the money for because there's always money for a good deal. There's yes. never money for a bad deal, you know, or not no. never. There, there's sometimes money for <laughs> exactly. a bad deal too, but. It, well, so many people try to line up the money, the con everything first, and those people are never going to get going. They're just not, not right. going to happen if they try to do everything first. There's two things. If you find the deal first, not only is there like a ticking time bomb when you have to close that deal that will incentivize you to actually go out and raise that money. But if it's a good deal, you'll find yes. that money out there very, very easily. And I think that it's important to, once you have a deal, just from an investor standpoint, to be able to have something that show them, this is what you got. Exactly. So if you're raising private funds, let me tell you, people ask me this all the time. It's like, well, how do you guys get so many private investors? And the reality is we just, you have to know how to ask. And, you know, if you've yep. been with me, I have a, a good friend of mine, Joe, um, we were at a conference and we sat there and we just started, we we're at a, the conference was at a, at a hotel and I'm just talking to someone, the guy, it turns out he's a judge. And um, wow. towards the end of the conversation, you know, I just said, I said, oh, well, here, and here's what I do. I said, you know, if you're ever looking for increased, you know, yields or anything along those lines, call me. And uh, my friend Joe looked at me as like, you don't even know the guy. I said, yeah, I just met him. I know him now. He should <laughs> exactly. know what I do. And the reason I said yeah. that is this. I said, you know, when I first got engaged, I would already been dating my wife for five years. We're driving together in a car. So keep in mind, I've been dating her. This is the person who's closest to you, right? We're driving in the car. I hang up the phone after finishing a conversation. She looks over and she's like, oh, that's what you do. And I looked over and I'm like, what do you mean that's what I do? We've been together Crazy. for five years. And she goes, I never quite understood <laughs> how you could lend more than what the purchase price was. And, uh, and she goes, and you explained it to that person and now I get it. And so <laughs> always remember that because 
I assume everybody knows what we do. And I assume that everybody yeah. knows everything that we do. Yeah. And I still meet people that we do business with and they're like, oh, well, wait, you'll put up all the money for our deals? And, and just like, we're like, well, yeah, you just never asked. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you did that. You know, and it's like, no, we just, just, you know, so that's, and now listen, is that a failure on my part? Absolutely. Right. But, but at the same time, it's things change so quickly and you adapt with the market that, yes. you know, when you met someone, it may not be what your business model might change slightly. So I think you've got, you know, and actually I kind of know what you're talking about with all the money. I, I think you've got a lot of people's attention right now when you said that. But before that, I want to go back, you know, you talked about ask everybody, you know, so let's say you need a, like a private money investor. You said ask everybody what, I don't know. I'm not like an expert on like all the SEC rules and regulations and all that. Like, what are some things? I mean, can people just go and ask people for money or do you know much about their, how does. Listen, I'm first of all, so here's the disclaimer. I'm not an attorney. Yeah. This is for me too. I really want to hear your opinion. This is me and Robert talking. Yeah. You guys are listening. I'm not an attorney, so this is not legal advice. I mean, there are certainly SEC (laughs) rules. And they're changing now with like with the, yeah, the crowdfunding rules and so forth. Yeah. Um, but crowdfunding doesn't actually work for our business like people think it does. And if you read those rules, okay, yeah. it's very, very different. And there's a company out there that's saying, hey, we're doing crowdfunding and all this stuff. And the reality is that they're just a hard money lender. And they're using that word as like, you know, like it's, it's <laughs> the trigger word that people are looking for. Um, but okay. here's the reality is this, is that, you know, I think that is if you know someone and you create some sort of venture, then you're not creating a security, right? And so, you know, I think it's, you know, on a small scale, you know, you should definitely get like seek legal advice and an attorney will tell you, this is what you can say. I can tell you there's some trigger words that you can never say, safe yes. being one of them. Like safe, guaranteed. this is a safe investment. This is guaranteed. It's like, oh, yeah, we can't lose. Are you kidding me? Of <laughs> course, Tell people yeah. in two th- yeah. that bought in 2007, in 2008, <laughs> that you can't lose. They will, uh, I think they'll punch you. <laughs> you, know? you know, I always tell people, I say, you know, any investment, there's some kind of risk to every investment. Once you understand that, then you just manage that risk. And so that's what it what it's all about. So, you know, listen, it's everyone should know what you do. And here's the thing is once everyone knows what you do, they will just offer you money. Yep. And actually, Christy had told me this. She said, you know, it's funny, you know, she posts pictures of like the before and after stuff. And and, uh, yeah, she said, it's interesting people that I never even really conceived of being an investor or that I even, you know, had the perception that they had money have called me up and just said, hey, you know, I see you're doing all these great things. You know, um, I'd like to, you know, maybe be an investor on your next deal. And, yep. Yep. you know, so it's not so much about advertising because that's, you know, there's certain things, there's a lot of limitations on that. Um, yes. But I think that it is a matter of certainly, and it goes back to networking of putting that word out there. And yep. and if you have a good deal and you can word things, you know, in a way where you're not advertising, you can word things yep. like I just bought this potential deal for sure. And here's my expected profit. Yep. People will just come to you because they want part of that. Yeah. And we're at that point too, where we just have people come to us and. Throw their money at us. <laughs> okay, not that, not quite to that point, but yeah, it's the same thing. If I ever do need additional money, I can, you know, as we started buying more houses these last couple months, you know, I hopped on the phone one day and I hadn't raised, I hadn't have to raise capital in a long time. And for two to three hours, I just started calling everybody I knew. And within two to three hours, I mean, some of them got back to me later, but I had raised about a quarter million dollars. And, you know, we take your guys' money, leverage that with them, and you can buy another 10 houses. Sure. So that's, uh, I think from a fundraising perspective, it's just, it goes back, just getting the word out. I love networking. There's networking groups that you can go to. There's ex-CEO groups. I belong to a networking group um, that is just CEOs and like 
presidents of financial institutions. That's awesome. Listen, so I live in Orange County. I live in Irvine. And yeah. the group meets on a Friday morning at 7.15 a.m. in Century City. Dude, where's my invite, and man? So, like 15 minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. And uh, I, it was an invite. It, it, you get invited. You know, so like I met the guy at a actually at a commercial conference. And uh, someone told me, he's like, he's like oh, yeah, well, you know, Mark's like a big deal, this and that. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And like, we were just messing with it. I ended up crashing his like mixer, which by like, his invite. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 I'm teasing. I'm, go do your thing. And uh, yeah. they had a bus, a shuttle bus that was going through back and forth. This is the guy that like part, he's a partner of this just very prestigious, large law firm. Right. Yeah. And he's standing there waiting for people. Like, he's like, okay, oh, come on. I'm like, don't, Mark, don't you have an assistant for this? Like, what are you, why are you you're over there entertaining? I know the bus has already made two trips. He's like, well, I'm just waiting yeah. for the bus. So I had a driver and I said, I said, I said, well, just hop in. I'll take you over there. He's like, well, come with us. I'm like, I'm not just giving you a ride. I'm not like, I, you know, I'm just helping you out. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. It says you got to come in. So we go in, he introduced me to everyone. And it, so we just hit it off. And so um, he went to, he, I get an invite from him later on. And someone else had told me, you know, like, hey, did uh, Mark invite you to that thing? I, sa- I said, yeah. He's like, go. Don't miss that. Really? I said, why? And he says, no, you don't understand how, like, the quality of people that go to that. He said, that's awesome. Do not miss that. Like, that is a, like, he does it once a month. And, you know, I, I tried, I, I've missed one, but since he's, and, yep. and I'll tell you, just, same thing like this. You get a lot of information. Yeah. And, and that was like when you invited me to the game. Honestly, it was not convenient for me. I had to move things around. But I'm like, you know what? This is somewhere I need to go. And it was so worth it. So uh, I totally agree. And, and don't feel, people listening, don't feel like if you're not, you know, networking at places like where Robert's talking about, you got to start somewhere. I mean, a couple, two and a half years ago, I just remember, you know, my, just to be able to talk to someone like Robert, like I was like, Oh my goodness. And so you just kind of, you start getting to know people more and I call the networking ladder, you know, it kind of sounds kind of cheesy, but you kind of work your way up. I'll it. give you a very big, like I'll give you just from an, and we'll go back to the hard money stuff in a second, but it's, uh, yeah. when you're networking, <laughs> let me give you just a couple tips on networking. That is very, very key. Awesome. So we play a game when we go networking that someone taught me when I was younger, cause I was pretty timid, you know, and you know, when you're young and single and you go to these clubs and so forth, um, a, a good friend of mine used to play a game and she said, well, let's go and let's meet everyone in the club. Yep. And that's kind of my attitude now when we go networking is let's just go meet everyone. Totally. And w- what we do is it's not me just bouncing from person to person. That's not what we're doing. What we do is we go and we meet a few people and we incorporate them into the networking. We say, hey, listen, we're playing this game. Our goal is for our group of people to meet everyone. And then it just spider webs out. And, and so you end up meeting a lot of new people out of that. The other thing is that when you're networking, don't necessarily attend the same networking events over and over again because you sat, there's a saturation point. Yeah. And so you have to constantly, like Google has their circles, you're right, their Google circles. Yep. It's the same thing. You have to be a part of so many different circles, you know, and, okay. and people will refer you out and that starts to like really expand much, much quicker. The other thing is that make sure you have plenty of business cards. You don't need a ton of business cards, but make sure you have plenty of business cards. And more importantly, make sure you have a felt pen with you, you know, like a small fine point Sharpie or something along those lines. Because like my business cards, you know, my business cards, actually, if the outside is glossy, a lot of people use these glossy, you can't make notes on it. And now I have on the inside of mine, it's matte. So, you know, I've got a spot for people to make notes on it. But most people don't have that. And it's because what happens, they hand you a card. I guarantee you, you're not going to remember who that person is. You make a note on that card. For sure. And I agree completely. Once you make a note (laughs) on that card, it's a keyword, whatever it is, you put it away. Okay. If you spent the time to go networking and you don't send up a follow-up email the next day, I mean, really just shame on you. Completely waste. That's the entire. 
It's not about the networking and getting the business there. Sure, sometimes you get some business there. Yes. It's about like, hey, it was a pleasure meeting you. In fact, while we're sitting here, I got one from someone I met yesterday. Yep. And I just say, hey, I just want to thank you for lunch. Yep. And it happened to be their birthday. And so yep. um, that's great follow-up. You know, this person's a title, yep. right? So yep. they're in the business of following up. And it's the same thing that we have to do as real estate investors is just get that word out. So go back to the hard money. The, you know, really from a, if you're seeking out hard money across the country, and I only lend in California, but if you're seeking out, there's a few things that you really want to look at when you're looking at a hard money lender. One is, um, do they have prepayment penalties? Is probably a very, very large one. Okay. And I start with that one only because my personal feeling is that if you're in the hard money's business and you're working with investors and you charge prepayment penalties, you're not really working with investors. You're in a money grab. Yeah. Uh. I you know, it, it, totally it's agree. this. So we've never done prepayment penalties because this. I can't see how if you're in the business of working with investors, you then penalize them for doing a better than expected. Totally. So that's just goes to mindset of the client, the hard money lender you're working with. Okay. So if they're charging you a prepayment penalty, they're not on your side at all. Okay. You know, great. great um, point. Number two is that you want to find out what their core basis is for their evaluations and how they are capitalized. So, you know, ask the questions. It's like, well, you know, so do you guys fund the deals with like private investors or do you have a line of credit? Do you have a fund? How do you guys, is it your own money? What do we do? And try to get an answer from that because if they are a hard money lender that has a large line of credit and they're funding everything off this line of credit, keep in mind that lender, that bank that gave them that line of credit to lend you money has a box that they have to fit in, right? Okay. And so if that line of credit has a box, that means you have a box. And so therefore, your transaction has to fit. There's less flexibility there. If they are a hard money lender that's working with just um, whole note investors, they're going to package your deal up and then try to sell to one of their investors. Try to sell So the problem is that if one of the investors comes back and says, well, you know, I don't want to fund 200,000 on that loan. I'll fund 180. Yeah. Guess who they're going back to for that extra 20? To you. To you. And so you can't bank. So it's a little bit less secure that way. The other thing is that yep. they may give you some just cockamamie reason as to why they're going back to you because, oh, it didn't appraise or did they? Might, they're not going to tell you it was the investor, but that is what will happen. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and it, they take a lot longer, it seems like, is and take, what I, from my experience. The guys that have a fund tend to be a little bit more flexible, although it depends on how they raise money for that fund. If they left very general and they were still successful in raising money, um, that's the best case scenario. If they have the fund, um, keep in mind that they might also have raised funds that said, well, we're going to lend or we're going to raise money for this, but we're only lending under these parameters. So they've created a box. Yeah. The lenders like us, and this is just a, a mm. toot our own horn here. It, yeah, good. We have our own cash. We have three funds that we manage. Awesome. We have um, whole note and institutional investors. We have family offices. We have insurance companies, you know, we have, so we're very, very well balanced in the way we fund. Nice. Because of that. Now, the other thing that's different is we fund everything with our own cash. We subsequently okay. put it into the boxes that we feel that we want to go to. So we don't sell the loan ahead of time, which affects you. What we do is we just fund it. And then we already know this is reasonably within reason what someone else is going to pay for this. And we feel yeah. we have a box for it, right? Perfect. A place to place it. And if we don't, we just keep it. Everything's turning yeah. under six months anyway. So because we have yeah. that flexibility, it gives us a lot more flexibility, which in turn for our clients gives them a lot more flexibility. Yeah, that's all. which is kind of how we buy houses, which is why we're able to back quickly and then find an investor after or whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. We'll contact you guys and say, hey, fund this deal. 
but we don't worry about the funds until we have the house under contract. Anyway, I'm getting right. No, that's true. That's true. And, but that's one of the reasons you do a much higher volume than some of the other people who, you know, rather than, and here, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to say this because it's a pet peeve of mine that investors, <laughs> okay. listen, when you're writing your offers, you only need one contingency. You just need the, the like inspection contingency. You don't totally true. the appraisal yes. contingency, the lender's contingency, no. the like, you know, don't fart contingency. You know, you've got like, yeah, need to exactly. Just do what? Because I mean, nothing makes you lose credibility quicker than every possible contingency in a contract. Yes. Checked off. And if you have an inspection contingency and you absolutely have to get out of the deal, you can. Because you only need one person you know, to get out. I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's perfect because it's just I don't want it anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, ex exactly. Or I want you to add an addition. Oh, we're not going to do that. OK, sorry. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's just like just the one is good enough, right? Exactly. Anyhow, so from a lending perspective, the other thing you want to find out is if they're lending off of the purchase price, the current value of the property or the after repaired value. Rob, I'm going to jump back really quick. So you guys have three funds and those are, okay, I'm, what was someone who wanted to invest in that fund with you? I mean, what, I, I'm just curious, maybe I'm asking too much. I'm curious how you guys go about raising that capital. Is that well, I can't actually uh, answer secret? that because there's SEC okay. that if, like, if there's more than 10 people that are going to listen to this, it's considered group marketing and I can't. Okay. Okay. So I can't. Okay. So the, it goes back to that pesky SEC thing. Yeah. You know, there are attorneys that do put together funds and there's one, I forget what her name is, but. She works the circuit and she does funds for like, she'll set up a fund for you for 10,000 bucks or something like that. That is the cheapest thing I've ever heard. Ours costs us significantly more than that. Nice. You know, if you're looking to do that, you can Google it. And she, I forget what her name is and I'll try to find the name. Maybe you, you may know who she is. Cause I know she's, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. I'm drawing a blank, yeah. but we can uh, link up to that in the show notes yeah. or whatnot. Um, do you guys have someone who raises this money for you or do you raise it yourself? Up until last year. We hired someone. It was all it was okay. in ourselves that we're doing it. You know, it's it's uh, we had a track record. We did some things uh, from our standpoint that uh, made it easier to raise money. We had audited financials, uh, which costs a lot of money. You have a CPA yeah. doing audits your financials. Yep. Um, we have now, I think, fifteen years worth of audited financials, so people tend to like that. Yeah. You know what we've we did really well. Um, well, let me digress. We did really well during the downturn in relation to what to most people, to most people. and <laughs> that's actually the first question that, that people ask is they're like, well, how'd you do in 2008? You know, we were actually profitable in 2008. That's awesome. Yeah. But barely, but I mean, yeah. it was unlike, you know, our competitors who their funds um, had lost like 30% of their value. We had seen wow. right on the wall and took steps to avoid a large portion of that. And so hence, awesome. hence we're, we're, we're here and it's really helped us cap capture the market. When you're first starting out credibility wise, you know, there is a rule for investors. It's don't be the oldest to invest with someone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you do have to take that steps. And that's when, if you're just getting started, you might want to consider a joint venture with someone or something along those lines. So you can prove your model. Yeah. And that means giving some away. That's okay. But it's, yeah. you know, keep in mind that don't, again, it goes back to don't look at the deal, look at the business. Yeah, for sure. And you need that business and that, that experience sometimes in that portfolio. I mean, I'm sure you raise money very easily because you have a portfolio of properties. You can show your, you know, not just on a deal per deal basis, but you can also show over the portfolio. This is how we're performing right now. There is absolutely a snowball effect in this business. No doubt. I mean, it, it starts out small and it's really hard to get things going. But once you do, it, it definitely builds on top of each other. So. All right, so let's get get back on track to Hardman. This is good. This is good. I think people are really going to like all the additional information we're throwing out there. So hard money, you know, you mentioned a lot of things they need to look for. Um, 
Is there anything else we missed that they need to look for? Yeah, so we're talking about the ARV, the and that's important because if you're if let's say if they're only lending on the purchase price, you're going to get relatively low leverage. So that should cost you a lot less money than someone who's lending on let's say the finished value of the property. The finished value okay. of the property is obviously a little bit riskier. You want to find out if they have a what we call here in California a holdback, which is a trust account where they hold funds for the repairs. Um, If they do, you want to find out if they manage it. If they manage it, great. You know it's going to be a much easier process than if they have a third-party company manage it. And so um, those are some things I think that you really want to look out. What should they be looking for someone to lend them on the ARV or on the purchase? price amount. So I will go up to, you know, a max of 80% of the ARV, um, which is very, very high for our industry. However, that's the most expensive loan you can get because there's also participation of the profit at that level. And so, you know, I might put up 100% of all the money that you need for this deal, but I'm also going to take a share of the profit. I don't have to do that. I could just be strictly a lender. So let's say I just wanted to loan you money and speak of that from that side of it. You didn't want to, you didn't need all the money. You have a little bit of money to come in with. Um, you know, if it fits or even no money, if it fits under, let's say 65% of the after repaired value, um, I'll typically, I can go 65 or 70% of the after repaired value. And I know I'm bouncing around a little bit here, but it's because. Yeah, it depends on the person you're working here's with. Here's the difference. So because, you know, I mentioned the software we started, right? So we analyze risk a little bit differently than your other guys. Yeah. Your other guys, they just look at the value and here's what we lend and here's the box. I don't have any set programs that sit there and say, I don't have a matrix to look at and say, this is, you know, okay, that you fit into this box. This is what your rate's going to be. We analyze it on a risk meter more so. And so on, for us, on a risk-adjusted basis, we look and say, okay, for this particular transaction, this is the risk. We're going to charge you X amount of money for this account. Okay. If you want to pay okay. less, just come with a little bit more money, lower our risk. You can pay a lot less. Okay. So, so give you a range for us. The lower side might right now be at like, uh, you know, assuming it's not a line type setup, if it's just an individual deal, it might be like yep. two points and 8% or 7.99. Whereas it's a, the higher side might be at, you know, three points and 12% or three and a half and 12% if we have to do things like funded cash. Um, you know, that, that's the other thing that you want to find out about is if your lender can fund as cash. Um, yep. You know, it's a very key difference that a lot of people don't do because there is an element of risk to it. So risk equals slightly more cost, right? Yep. Um, when you look at uh, most of the transactions, if you're competing, we t- spoke about nationally, 58% of all sales are all cash sales. Uh-huh. You know, a percentage of those all cash sales don't actually, you know, there's probably a loan element behind it. Yep. But the reality is, is that if you're competing and you know that you're competing for this all cash type product and you're doing yours as a loan because you're using a hard money lender, if you can still close the transaction cash, Via that hard money lender, that's a big plus, and that's a hard money lender you want to work with. Mm-hmm. For us, what we do in some cases, we can advance the cash to close, um, and then we'll put our deed of trust either later that day or the next day. And that's important because it does keep your transaction all cash. And so, um, you know, with that, there's an element of risk to it. And I remember when you guys told me that you did that, and that was pretty exciting for me because there are times, you know, we make all of offers are cash, and then sometimes we'll just happen to bring in, you know, a hard money loan and. Hopefully they don't care, but occasionally they do. So if you can say, okay, no problem. You want all cash? No problem. Right. And you guys are able to do that. And that is huge. So, okay. Very cool. So, I mean, but more or less, okay, what's just talk to me, standard, standard, someone's brand new uh, in the business, but they've got a deal under contract. They come to you. What should they be looking to get from you versus what they're going to pay? 
Uh, Average deal, good deal. I mean, everything looks pretty legitimate. Nothing too crazy, not too risky. So one of the things that I'm looking for is, is I'm going to look at the numbers on the deal from start to finish, right? And make sure that you have all your bases covered. You know, most of the beginners, I look at a lot closer because they tend to miss a lot of things. And so some of those deals might just not end up being deals because, you know, they, they didn't recognize the roof needed to be replaced. They didn't, you know, <laughs> just things like this, right? And so one of the things that we're going to look at is first their bank statements, right? Because one of the things at, well, as a private financier, we have to be cognizant of the fact that we're not over leveraging you. And so in other words, we're not enabling you to fail. And so I want to make sure that you have enough capital to take this from A to Z. Keep in mind that what we do as a, as a lender is we're trading actual cash for a piece of paper that promises us repayment. And that paper says we're going to charge you X amount of interest and points and what have you. But we trade actual cash for a piece of paper. The reason that's important to notice is that I need to make sure that that piece of paper is actually worth something. <laughs> and that worth, the value of that is based on what your expertise is or your ability to repay. And, you know, you're going to hear a lot from even the conventional standpoint about ability to repay over the course of the next year. But the reality is that that's been our model is that we look, you're, what's your exit? You're flipping the property. Great. You're going to resell it. Okay. What are you going to sell it for? If you think you're going to sell it for 350000 and we don't see a value over 280000 there's a hole there. There's a miss there, Yeah. right? Yes. So we need to either figure out who's right or wrong or shorten that gap. I don't mind people like outperforming. I mean, like you sold properties for higher than what we thought it was. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it's there's market pressures sometimes. Yeah, no, none of us have a crystal ball. The market changes. <laughs> no, and, and listen, some markets you might, there's markets that you're going to have more expertise than we have. And yeah, I, I've also just to, hey, Throw it out there. I've got one right now that we're going to get killed on. So, you know, it is what it is, right? We were both off. Yeah. And so that, uh, you know, that's going to happen. And you have to recognize that this is part of the market. That is part of the business. And, you know, overall, you want to make more money than you lose money, right? Bill, I mean, exactly, business exactly. is still buy low, sell high, right? It's not. Yes, yes. And if you're brand new, I hope we're not digressing, but if you're brand new, don't worry about hearing the stories about the people who lose money so much. Worry about yourself because. I would not have taken that risk I took on that property if I were a new investor and didn't have any money to back it up. So anyway. Um, you do have to go into this business willing to be able to take some element of risk. And you know, the good thing about real estate is that you can quantify most of your risk. Yes. You know, you can get feedback, you can get feed, you can talk to several agents in the area and they'll give you their expectation because they're selling homes in that area as to what that home is gonna sell for. You can exactly. talk to several contractors and get bids. And you'll have a median average somewhere. So this is what it's going to be. You know, you can look at your own comps. You can drive the comps with Google now. You can just Google Earth and see the overview. Am I behind an apartment building? Am I, you know, next to a refinery? I mean, all things that might affect the value of a home. Yes. And somewhere along those lines and during that week period that you have as a due diligence period, you should be able to figure out what the risk level is. Perfect. And that's really what we do. Okay, so you're going to want to see their bank statements, but just for the record, I mean, obviously they don't need to have enough to repay you the whole loan. What do they need to be? What are you looking for? You know, I'm just looking for some reserves. I look for some that they have, you know, a percentage of reserves above what the rehab's going to cost, especially if we disagree on what the cost is of the rehab. You know, there's one of the things that I think beginners do grossly underestimate the cost of the rehab. I can fix yeah. this for 10 grand and we're like, it's a 3,200 square foot house. Your paint and your carpet yeah, exactly. is more than 10 grand. And they're like, no, 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 I can paint this for like 1,500 bucks. And we're like, no, you can't, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, I mean, you just can't, it's just, you're just not going to. Yeah. So um, it's things along those lines, you know, they look at a house and they say, oh, this is in a bad condition. Yet the houses that are selling for top dollar 
fully remodeled, completely contemporized homes, and they're thinking, I'm just going to paint the cabinets and be able to manage the same thing. It won't bring it up to the valley. Won't bring it up to the valley. So, you- and what I tell a lot of people, a lot of times people will send me a deal and they'll say, this is the ARV. And I'm like, well, what, what are you doing to the house? Because that the ARV can change based on what you're doing the house. Some people think the ARV is the ARV is the ARV. And I say, no, it depends on how much are you going to put into repairs. I say, if you put this much into repairs, the ARV is going to be this. If you're this much, it's going to be this. So that will change. So an ARV is not standard for every house. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Especially when you get into some of the higher end areas. Yes. That, and that's where it really changes. Significantly. And, and the style of the fact that you have new tile or new flooring. What's the, yeah. which tile and which flooring, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Who designed it? And, you know, you do have some other factors that will, uh, that, that will come into fact to come into play there. All right. So we got bank statements. Bank statements. I look at the credit report. Okay. Check the credit. I'm not as concerned about the credit report being good as I am that, you know, after the Patriot Act, we do have to check credit. And so that was after 9-11. Every, somebody who tells you they don't, then they're qualifying you slightly differently. But you do have to um, verify a person is who they say they are, really, in the credit okay. way that we do that. With that said, I do have some clients that are, you know, sub 400 FICOs. <laughs> That's good to know. And so, you know, and then we have others that are, you know, above 800. So it's... uh here I am. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it, 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 and it's okay. It's it's a, um, yeah. uh, like I said, we're more equity-based and deal-based. So it just needs to make sense from that standpoint. With regards to, uh, we, we ask for a financial statement that we like to have on file. It's just something you fill out online for us so that we can kind of see a bigger picture, yeah. right? Because the credit and the bank statements only tell you two things. If you're, let's say, a contractor, you could be running a lot of cash there, but your financial statement will kind of balance that out so you'll be able to see this is the real picture. And it goes back to, I just don't want you to fail. I don't want to over leverage you. And, Perfect. you know, it, it's it's the reality is this, is that we're all in this together. I'm really, you know, for lack of a better word, even though I'm just the lender, I'm kind of your partner in the deal because we're yeah. putting up this and we're, Absolutely. we're earning our percentage of profit through interest and points versus you know, an actual percentage of the profit. So it's, it's, you have to look at that relationship that way. And, you know, I wish people would just be completely honest with me all a hundred percent of the time. And, you know, that, while that's mostly the case, it's not always the case. Yep. And, you know, and then sometimes they get a little jammed up. I, I can tell you, I'm a very good lender on the other side. If you have an issue, because, you know, we do own a construction company also, we can step in. Our, my goal is not to foreclose. My goal is really to, to kind of, you know, help out and alleviate the, the situation. But, you know, if you're just not responding and not doing anything like that, I have a fiduciary, which is to foreclose and to protect the money that's in that deal. And so yes. my advice would be to just be very forthcoming with the lenders. You'll be surprised at the creativity that we you know, are out there trying to do business. We make no business by lending no money. So for sure. And if we tell you like, no, it might be just no right now because of this, or it might be no on the deal, yeah. not necessarily no on you. And what's great about, you know, working with someone like you is maybe someone ends up making this big mistake, but you're looking at the deal and say, oh, you're missing this. You might save them a pretty good little uh, mishap yeah, I, there. <laughs> I have a client who um, we told him on a deal, just a brief scenario. It, he was buying what he thought was a duplex. Wow. And it, on title, it pulled up as a duplex. And when our report came back, it still said it was a duplex. And I looked at it just through experience. I said, you know what? That was a garage. <laughs> and there were, and he said, there was one meter on the property, one electrical meter, and two gas meters. He said, well, there's two gas meters. He goes, no, no, I should be fine. I'm like, Rob, I think this is a, go pull the permit history. And he pulled the permit history, couldn't find permits for the second unit. He's like, I don't know. Well, yeah, but you know what? That happens sometimes. You just can't find the permits. Yeah. I said, Rob, I can tell you right now that used to be a garage. Crazy. You're going to get stuck in this deal. And, you know, they're going to have a pre-sale inspection. You're gonna, it's going to come up. 
Yeah. He's like, well, it shows on title. I can show. And he went to the county. He pulled like the county showed where it had like it was showing a duplex. Um, keep in mind that the county assessor will assess anything legal or not to collect their tax dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the city, on the other hand, is the one who says this is legal. This is not legal. So he decided to gamble, went to another lender. Um, and when he came back, like later, he's like, man, you remember that deal who um, or that deal that you told me to pass on? He's like, I should pass on it. He's like, he was losing 30,000 bucks on it. Oh, man. He said the city came in. They're like, that's a garage. Convert that back to a garage. He tried to fight them and show them. He's like, I don't care. what They, they told him exactly what I said, which is I don't care what the county has. This is what we have. This is what it legally is crazy and they told them they, they said it's you're actually zoned for a duplex if you want to add a second unit you're okay yeah. he said but that garage Definitely. sits on the property line you need to have a five foot setback oh, the man. foundation's different the studs are different in the garage than they would be for a house the electrical was ran wrong it was just he ended up making a garage taking the loss just lost a tremendous amount of value got lucky in the fact that the market was appreciating so quickly nice <laughs> that he only lost 30 grand because oh, it could have been more like fifty or sixty thousand, and so you know, it just uh, it goes to just don't take. You can't gamble. This isn't a business where you gamble. This isn't gambling. Yes, right. This is yeah, this no. is a, a adjusted risk type business that you're yes. making educated decisions on. Educated risk, right? Yeah. And calculated, calculated risk, and that's what you're doing. And that's uh, you know, always remember this: you're in preservation mode. You're not in gambling mode. You're not in Vegas. Yes. 50 on black. Yeah. You know, it's, you're not doing that. You're sitting there and it's more important to preserve your capital. Yes. Than it is to make the capital. Yep. You know, it, yep. if you always remember that, that will remove that greed element of the deal. Yeah. Vanessa and I talk about it all the time. I'm like, you know, Vanessa, we'll probably make money on this one, but I don't want to buy it if there's like a 25% chance that we might not. I mean, it's just silly. Like we don't need to do that. Right. So, um, okay. We're going way over. This is gonna be the longest episode oh, ever. That's okay. No, no, no. This is good, man. I'm, I'm having a great time. I hope as long as you're good with time, there's two more things I want to cover real quick. And then we have something, you know, special at the end. So really quick, you mentioned that people can come to you and, you know, some people literally don't have any money that they feel like they can get or private money they can add as a second really quickly explain how that can be a possibility. Sure. Okay. So let's say someone has a deal that's tied up for us um, because we have a construction company. We also, you know, have an escrow company. You can bring a deal to us. And as long as the numbers make sense and they fit within the percentage I mentioned earlier that we're looking to make on a profit percentage basis, then we would put up a hundred percent of the deal as well. And then we would participate in that profit. And so what we would do is basically like there's a gap lender out there. We also act as a gap lender if we're the first. And so, you know, we'll still anchor. We'll do its first. We'll also do a second deed of trust, which is the at-risk capital. Yep. And that second will be what we call a shared appreciation loan. So we don't okay. we don't do them as, share, as as joint ventures. We don't do joint ventures. We're basically still just your lender. You're running the job. If you want us to run the job, we can also be a vendor of yours under the construction company. It would be your lender and a vendor. Nice. And wow. so really you could just sit back and just collect one check. stop shop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there is, um, you know, so as long as it works then we can put up all of the money, it's still a loan. So at some point, like I don't mind prepaying some of the loan, but at some point, if you haven't sold the property, then you will have to start making monthly payments. Yes. And so that's pre-negotiated. We get, you know, sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's four months, you know, but the reality is that, you know, you need to be incentivized to get move this property. Yes. And that's the way that's done. If they're a wholesaler, you know, they might consider, well, let me see, what can I actually make if I do the deal myself versus wholesaling it? 
Or if they want to just expand, like, I mean, we haven't even mentioned this, but, you know, we have an in-house asset manager that helps wholesalers move the properties that they have under contract if they're wholesaling. And so they can just simply call us and say, hey, here's this. We'll expose it to our network. For sure. And usually within the first 24, 48 hours, we'll have a buyer that's ready, willing, and ready. Yeah. And, and you have us with the capital behind the deal, so which, which is a yeah. plus. And it was wild at the game. You know, I saw my brother-in-law who I didn't even know was working with you guys. And yeah, I buy houses from these guys all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was when you walk in and you're like, hey, I know this. Oh, how do you guys know each other? He's like, yeah, it's my, my wife's brother. <laughs> Tyson. Small, small world. Shout out to Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, cool. So if they can contact you and obviously for the record, that's going to cost someone a lot of their profit, but you know what? If you don't have the money, it's a great way to get your foot in the door. I mean, I always tell people, look, you're getting paid to learn. <laughs> I mean, who it, cares? It's you're... the cheapest college you'll ever go to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're getting paid to learn. If these guys are taking that risk, you have essentially no risk. I mean, or I can't say no risk, right? But, yeah, but you also, <laughs> your, your risk. But you know what? You also get firsthand like knowledge of how we run our business, which is key. Exactly. I mean, that, that's pretty important. Yeah, that's huge. Okay, so let's. Okay, I know. You know, when we talked about doing this interview, you mentioned that you could talk about the market and things come up. I'm like, no, I don't want you to scare anybody. <laughs> but you know what? Let's do it. I want people to be incredibly aware of the market and your thoughts. I know there's different thoughts out there. You know, Bruce Norris, maybe have on the show later, we'll have his opinion. So this is Robert's opinion. But talk to us about what you see coming up in the market. For the record, I want to say the date, sure. if we're going to talk about the market today. What is the date today? Uh, November 22nd. It is November 22nd. This episode will probably, usually I try to do it within a week, but I have a couple that are ready to go. Um, so this might come out in about three weeks. So what are your thoughts on the market right now? You've talked about some things coming up next year. Yeah, so um, let's hear it. I have, um, I expect things to be, I think they're still going to be good. Don't get me wrong. And I think for investors, the opportunity is going to be even greater for investors. Uh, you know, the market's pretty tough to find deals and, and it's gotten more competitive and your profit margins have shrunk. Um, I expect that to kind of, that trend to kind of reverse itself. I think where the profit margins will slightly increase in 2014. We're seeing a plateau right now on the volume of sales and the demand from buyers. Um, it's very, very regional. It's very spotty. You know, like I mentioned earlier, LA had uh, a 1.8% um, price, medium price reduction month over month. Um, mm -hmm. Orange County had a 1.5%. I figure, I, I think uh, Riverside and uh, San Bernardino counties and San Diego counties were right in that range. Um, yep. San Diego actually had the least um, price reduction over the last month. It was only 0.8%, I think is what it was. However, you know, that's the trend and it's a concerning trend for us in that your buyer demand is relatively low, low right now when you have low inventory. Typically, when you have this low of inventory, and I think our inventory level is as low as it was at the peak of the last cycle, and demand was frenzied then. Yeah. And you don't have that same thing. Part of it is because your income levels have not recouped like that to the levels that they were previously. Yep. And, you know, without that recoup and part of that, you know, there's a couple of reasons that that's happened. One is that, you know, a lot of companies because of regulations and so forth and, and what they have to cover for full-time employees have shifted to a part-time employee model, similar to like Walmart's model. Okay. So if you look at Walmart, it doesn't really have any or very few full-time employees. And the reason is that, um, huh. you know, the insurance requirements and the, the carry of that part-time employee is different than a full-time employee. So you can actually you know, if you look at it from a business perspective, if we have all full-time employees, but if you have, let's say, two sets of part-time employees, you work longer days, 
you can accomplish more and it costs you less yeah. for the each employee. Yeah. That makes sense. So now what's happening yep. is that that's like it's not so much the wage levels that are out there today. It's the amount of employment that each person is earning. So there's people that are working less is one of the reasons that that's lower. The other reason is that, you know, if you look at just in, just like in my business, I mean, you know, pre cycle, there wasn't, you didn't really have Google Earth and, you know, the maps feature where you could drive. We used to have a bunch of drivers out there driving all these properties. That was an edge for us. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. now, you know, that edge is taken away because every single person can do that yeah. via Google Earth. And so you look at efficiencies in that and it just in other businesses. And now just in our business, again, our field inspectors or contractors that are out there. And it used to be before they had to come back to the office, they'd do all this work product. Now we have our own in-house apps. They're out there, they do the work, and as they're inputting the stuff on the site, it's hitting our system. So other people here could just see live what's going on. And so it, it's made it much more efficient. They take a picture, they don't have to put yeah. the address. Yeah. We know the address they're at because there's a, a GPS in there and their iPad. That's awesome. And so it makes it very difficult for the American employee now, unless you're you have a niche or unless you have an efficiency. So if you haven't, you know, advanced in that education or in that technology, it's become more difficult for them to buy or to, to get a full-time job. Now, with that said, you also have to look at our economy as we're really a consumer-based economy. Mm-hmm. And we are also a service-based economy. And we don't really make widgets. We don't, you know, and there's certain things that we manufacture here, but really most of the manufacturing is sent overseas. And we're, so you have this consumer service-oriented economy. And when the service gets more efficient, it makes it tougher. And if you're buying a 30-year debt instrument, then today the picture's not as rosy as it was before. And so a lot of the first-time buyers, when you look at the first-time buyers, they have not been as active this cycle as they were last cycle. And you look at most of the transactions on a a nationwide basis, they're mostly going to all-cash investors that are looking for value. The dollar is relatively low. That means that because the dollar is low, the investment from outside of the U.S. looks like a very, very safe, stable government. Let's invest. And they're moving money here. And you look at, I mean, it's interesting. I had thought that most of the international money was actually coming from the Asian markets. It actually comes from Canada, which was surprising wow. to me. Wow. I didn't know that. But it comes, Canada invests more in the U.S. by double than any other type of foreign investors from any other region. Wow. And I didn't know that. They, they, I think they're 40, they count for somewhere like 40% of the foreign capital that comes into our country. Crazy. I had no idea either. <laughs> this goes to Christy, by the way. She's Canadian. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, okay, Christy Sertwell, by the way, that we keep bringing up. She was on uh, one of the episodes. You can go find her on the podcast section. <laughs> so, so anyhow, so um, I, I think that from a market sustainability standpoint, there will be, my guess is, more REOs that come online towards the last quarter or let's say third to fourth quarter of 2014. Okay. Is it a significant level? I, I don't know. There's also a risk that some of these hedge funds that have been buying properties, um, they are slowly, like some of the smaller ones have liquidated a little bit. Liquidating. Um, I don't see the risk of them all liquidating because really I think what happened is there was a new asset class that was created yeah. for that investment and that's just an asset class that will remain. That it, Just like people, you know, had commercial REITs, now they have residential REITs. Okay. Um, and I think that that'll just be, you know, there, there's a way for them to exit without dumping the properties. And I think that's happening now. Okay. The So I think that it'll be relatively flat with some depreciation. I know Bruce's model thinks that it, I think it'll appreciate, you know, pretty significantly. Uh-huh. You know, if we see any appreciation, I think it's going to be relatively small. You know, I don't see it as robust as he sees it. 
uh, barring something changing in like the you know employment status of, of everyone here you know and, and right now the trend is that it's staying relatively flat with small growth and that's kind of the way uh-huh. i see it going with our business now with that said um when i was running some reports for a seminar i did it surprised me that the bottom of the market wasn't until like the end of 2011. we all made a lot of money between 09 2010 2011 and yeah, 2012. Absolutely. i mean those were some yeah. of the best years so it's yeah. not to say for like the investors and the house flippers that are out there that, wow, well, the market's flattening, we should be conservative and do that. There's still, you can still make a lot of money. Yeah, You shouldn't necessarily be doing these development long-term projects because it's difficult to forecast one or two years or three years out exactly what's going to happen. The other major risk of our market right now is that we're still in this phase where it's, not, it, it's largely based on the regulation that's out there, um, the quantitative easing that the Fed is doing, and the bond buyback program that they have. Every time, you know, they even, they don't actually have to adjust or say anything. It, it's just the mere, well, actually, they don't have to actually make an adjustment. They just have to mention that they're considering it and the market overreacts. Crazy. And so when you're in that type of volatility as an investor, you should be doing short-term deals versus long-term deals. I don't like the long-term plays right now because really, if you're going to be buy and hold, unless if you're going to buy and hold for the long-term, it's certainly a great, you know, there's a great, it's, it's not a bad time, but. If you're going to buy and hold and you're going to exit in the time frame that the average exits, which is like a seven or 10 year old, um, then it's not as great as it was when interest rates were higher and prices were lower is really what you're looking for, right? So you'd rather buy when the prices are lower versus the interest rates lower because you can always refinance. You can't necessarily just, the market's not just going to correct the price that you paid for. Exactly. Wow. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. Well, anything else on? I mean, um, I'm trying to think what else here. Uh, you know, inventory levels right now. There's a God, There's a website called uh, the Department of Numbers, which is actually a pretty good site. Huh. And if you look there, they do a weekly listing of what's happening with inventory levels, buyers' expectations. You can go on to like I think Bank of America and HSBC also do, they do a quarterly report uh, where they survey something like 1500 real estate brokers across the country. Yeah. And what they do is they, um, they basically ask them, so how did your open house go? Was it, um, less than expected? Like what was the traffic like? Was it less than expected as expected or more than expected? And that's an important little survey because what it does is it forecasts before anything shows on any chart. Yeah. And so, because no transactions have happened, but if the expected number of people that were going through open houses was significantly less uh-huh. tells you that demand is slowing down before you actually see those transactions slow down. Yes. And are you guys seeing that? I mean, you're dealing with a ton of investors. Are you seeing things slowing down? Yeah, sure. I mean, listen, we see it, yeah. we see it in our own. Yeah, I, I mean, we it, are too. I just wanted to hear if that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, it, and I, it, it's for sure. I like like what your bio said is you're able to, and we're to the same point where we're doing enough volume where we can usually kind of tell what's going on before you hear it on the news, before the numbers come out. It's like, uh, something's going on. So I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting how you listen to Bruce and we got to have you guys on here and have a debate sometime. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. But yeah, my, so, my, my partner actually met with uh, Bruce yesterday. They're, they're friends. They're on a different committee together. And, uh, oh, that's awesome. and he was telling me his viewpoint and I like Bruce a lot, you know, and I, for sure. Yeah. I usually agree with him. And yeah. we may just come to it's not the answer, it's the math, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we, yeah. I, I think we tend to do our math differently. Exactly. We look yeah. at things from a different perspective. But, you know, overall, usually you come to the same agreement. This is, I think, the first time that I've actually, you know, slightly disagreed with him, uh, yeah. where I, I just don't see it as robust. 
as he sees it. Now, he was, in his credit, he was dead on pretty much for the last year or whatnot. But you're right. Who knows if that and right now that's slowed down. So who knows what will happen? But uh, all right. You heard it first. Robert Fragoso's uh, predictions on uh, the market for the upcoming years to come <laughs> months or years or whatever. <laughs> OK, great. Well, oh, wow, oh, wait, Robert, you know, let mean, me add one more thing. OK, let's do all it. Right. So there's one thing that a lot of people aren't calculating into what's going to happen. And it's Obamacare. And, okay. Oh, man. Okay. So the cost of Obamacare Ridiculous. It's so significant that everyone's basically taking a pay cut. And so oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. So if you're taking a pay cut and for the average family, that makes a difference. They're going to qualify for the, uh, the people who don't own a home yet. They're going to yeah. now qualify for less. Wow. There's a little pressure there from that side as well that I think is interesting. That, that's a factor that a lot of people aren't really factoring in. Yeah. So one thing I want to shed some good light and all going off of what you said, I don't want the market to go up 20% per year, honestly. So what you're talking about, I'm totally fine with that. I think it's better. Like you said, it'll create more opportunities. It's just good to be aware of those. So you're not buying at like 5% margin and speculating with the the market's going to go up. You know, the other thing is investors, we've mentioned like the networking and the trade groups and the real estate boards. All of these, like FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, Bank of America, all these larger lenders, they put on seminars for real estate agents that if you belong to those boards, you can go to. And yeah. personally, I just think everybody should be licensed anyway, because it just helps you learn your craft more. Yeah. But um, you get to see what's coming down the line, because they're telling you, hey, this yeah. is a change that we've done. And every little tweak means a little something to us. That's why I go to so many of them. That's awesome. Well, I have a feeling that some people are going to have some questions for you and I'm going to have them leave any questions you have for Robert on the site at housewhippinghq.com slash episode 11. That's one, one, not don't spell out 11. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure Robert will hop on there and help me answer those questions for you guys. He's light years beyond me as far as understanding markets and what's to come. So we'll leave that to him. One other thing we wanted to do, I talked to Robert before this call and, and we were talking and we want to do something really cool for this episode. Uh, it's kind of whole new level. I've never talked this deep about this much. It's the longest episode we've ever done. We want to have a little competition. Everyone out there like to have a competition? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> you got you like talking to yourself. So I got to pretend like they're answering, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep it simple. Nothing crazy. In this business, it's all about taking action. I'm always talking to you guys about taking action. So we want anyone to go on to, once again, go onto the show notes, go on the website, housewhippinghq.com slash episode 11, or just go on there and you'll see Robert's you know, face and click on it or this show, click on it. And in the comments right below the show notes, write down something that you are going to do in the next, how long should we give them, Robert? A week or a few days or what? I would the, say a week, how, no more than a week because they wait longer okay. than a week. They're just not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I have people all the time like send me emails. Oh, someday I'm, I'm like, no, you're not. Do it now or you're not going to do it. So you have one week from the time that you leave your comment to do this item and whatever. Okay. So it's either you need to write down what you're either going to do to start your business or what you're going to do to take your business to the next level. They need to be specific, actionable items. Write down whoever we like the best. Um, we are going to, we're going to pick one person. And we are going to get you some tickets to the Clippers game, the same type of deal that I went to. The What's it called again? The Hyde the, uh, Lounge at the uh, Clipper game. 
and we do a networking type event there. You know, usually one or twice a quarter when the when it's basketball season. Um, so you'll get to network with people that really it, the the upper echelon of our business typically is who attends. Yeah, I'll be there. Robert will be there. You're gonna be with, and we're gonna introduce you to everybody. I mean, everyone you're gonna be meeting is gonna be doing tons of deals, tons of has a credible uh, flipping businesses, doing really well economically. And it's just really cool to be, you know, you become like those you hang out with. So it'll be a good chance to really associate with those guys and talk to Robert and myself some more. We can kind of give you some uh, pointers and uh, it'll just be a great opportunity. So here's the one caveat, you know, you have to actually do the things you say you're going to do. So <laughs> write those things down and we'll comment as well. We'll respond. We'll say, hey, great. I think this is awesome. And it's a way that you're going to hold yourself accountable. You're going to throw it out there. You're going to put it on and thousands of people are going to see this. So you're going to hold yourself accountable and then we'll pick the winner and we'll announce it and it'll just be a, a great time. So, all right, I'm pumped. Can't wait to see those. Um, so Robert, thank you so much. I mean, what you've provided today. I and mean, I, once again, I feel like it's just you and I having a conversation and once again, I mean, some of this might be over some of your guys' heads, but I don't want to dumb this down too much. You know, I started off with some of the basics, but the more you hang out with and hear people who are doing big business you're eventually going to elevate yourself to that level. I mean, it might take a little bit of time, but that's what's going to happen. So I don't want to, you know, dumb it down. You guys Listen, are going to, you'll get it. Just take action. Education is yeah. key and learning and everything. That's really, really important. Become the expert of your craft. It is a craft for sure. Absolutely. So don't, don't treat it like, oh, I don't know what's wrong. You know, for I've been listening to you, Justin, for like three weeks and I still haven't made a million dollars <laughs> this year. You know, so treat it like a craft, you know, put that time in. Take action, though. Take action. That's where you're going to learn the most. And Robert, Robert, how can someone follow you or get a hold of you? I know you have a ton of networking events going on all the time. Yeah, um, you know, they can go. They can find me on Facebook. It's Robert Fergoso. They can uh, email me at uh, Robert F at anchorloans.com. Um, I will give you a uh, all right. I'll give you my number if you're local in California. It's uh, actually you know, we'll stick with the email because it's, <laughs> I know I'm a pretty big following. <laughs> Uh, I haven't given my number out and it's not intentionally. It's just, I'm not the best person to uh, answer all their calls. All right. I'll give you the office line here. It's 310-395-0010. Or you can email, that is my direct email. Um, You can email me at uh, Robert F like Frank um, at anchorloans.com or the main office line is 310-395-0010. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So once again, you can also go to housewhippinghq.com. Tell us what you're going to do, and we'll give it um, one week, and then we'll announce the winner. So, all right, everybody. Have a great week, Robert. Everyone have a great week, and thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. I appreciate you having on. Wow. Did Robert deliver the goods or what? Okay, so just to recap, go to houseflippinghq.com slash episode 11. And for the competition, enter what you are going to do this week to either start or improve your house flipping business. Robert and I will look at all of your comments. We'll give you feedback on all your comments. So you're keeping yourself accountable. We're going to give you feedback and whichever comment we just feel is, uh, I don't know, the, the most inspiring. We may narrow it down to like 10 that we like and then do a random pick, but we'll pick one lucky winner to join Robert and myself 
and about 20 other incredible rehab house flipping machines at the Clippers game coming up. We'll set a date. We'll let you know. We'll get you the details. And it's just going to be an incredible experience. If you don't think you can make it to the game, still leave a comment. And if you're the winner, we'll do something else. We'll set up like an half hour, an hour long consultation with Robert and I, and then we'll pick someone else for the Clippers game as well. So go to housefippinghq.com slash episode 11 and leave that comment. And this is great going into the new year. Time to set some goals. Decide some of the things you're going to do to take some serious action and make 2014 an incredible year. Okay, so a quick update on the ratings and reviews. Last week, I challenged you all to give us a rating and review, and we would apply $10 for each rating and review to help a less fortunate family this year who is either close to becoming homeless or is currently homeless, help them and their children uh, have a great Christmas this year. So far, we've received 11 ratings and reviews, which is phenomenal. That will allow us to help two additional families. Our goal is to get 25 by December 20th. So please keep them coming. Uh, We're getting there. I think we can make it. Keep those ratings and reviews coming. We'll also send you the free gift, which I've mentioned in the past, uh, about the presentation that I gave at the San Diego Investment Club. We'll send you the video link. Uh, So please get those ratings and reviews. They really mean a lot to us and really make a huge difference in our business. You can go to housewhippinghq.com slash podcast. And there you can leave that rating and review. You need to be logged into iTunes to do so. If you have any questions, shoot us an email and we will help you out with that. Last of all, uh, we have received a ton of great feedback regarding the coaching program slash mastermind group, whatever it is that that we're going to figure out here. So that is something that we are going to go ahead and go forward with. We still don't know all the details. We're going to be working on those details. My goal, people have this need to be together with the group, to have accountability. I'm seeing that more and more. And I think that's part of the reason why some of these gurus have really been able to capitalize on that need and charge $10,000, $25,000 to these people. But I think what's happened is there's a lot of uh, people out there that have gone so the opposite way to where they don't provide high quality uh, programs because they want to be nothing but the opposite. So my goal is to create something that provides that need, but at a much more affordable, reasonable price that will really help a lot of people, you know, from someone who's actually doing this business. Um, So I don't have all the details, uh, but we'll be looking out for that. We're going to come out with something that I think will really make a lot of sense to a lot of people that are looking for something like that. And with that, we have come to an end, the end of another House Whipping HQ podcast. Thank you all for listening. Next week, we are going to hear from Ryan Scala. I have begged and pleaded with Ryan to come on the show ever since I started, and we finally got him on. It wasn't easy, but he's going to teach us all about marketing. Ryan is the master of marketing and wholesaling, so we really dive into that. It's an incredible interview, and I can't wait to share that with you. Everybody have a great week. Get out there. Make some things happen. Get ready for the new year. Make some goals. Make it a great year. And we will see you on 
the flip side. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.